What's going on, everyone? Welcome to this week's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on uh, Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You can follow the social pages on Twitter and on Facebook. Still calling it Twitter. Don't care uh, what it says. <laughs> Don't care uh, what it's called. Still going to call it that. Um, but I'm uh, glad to be back with you folks this week. It's going to be a a lot, uh, a lot to get to this week. Um, you know, we're with you guys on Friday. Talked uh, plenty about, you know, what we were hoping was going to be a very good uh, Patriots Cowboys game. Obviously, we did not get treated to that yesterday. So there's definitely a lot of thoughts from that game. Um, clearly, the uh, Celtics made a huge trade uh, yesterday that I think surprised a lot of people, including myself. Uh, the, the Red Sox finished their season yesterday. Um, you got Bruins gearing up for uh, the second half of the preseason with three preseason games this week, and then that's it until the regular season. Revolution got back on track, um, and then we have a lot of uh, other stuff to get to. So yeah, episode 279, we're ready to go. and We are uh, unfortunately ready to, uh, you know, talk about a... Uh, football game that was not nearly as entertaining as uh, some people, including myself, thought it was going to be. Um, you know, I think just uh, all bad, all bad. I think that really there's nothing to look at this game and feel good about. I mean, maybe there are, are some little things, some silver linings, as, you know, me being someone, I always try to find that sort of thing in games like these. But um, I think just all around bad, you know, the, the everything in this game just wasn't good enough. The execution just wasn't good enough. I don't really know what to say specifically. It just everyone had a bad day. You know, I, the offensive line didn't do its job. The running game didn't get going. They had 53 yards in this game, and, you know, I... Kind of wish I knew what the issue was with Mac Jones yesterday. Just seemed like wasn't playing with any confidence. You know, was trying to make plays that are outside of what his skill set is. You know, and I don't think anything was more clear than the pick six. You know, the play that he, you know, rolls out to his right, looking for a receiver, throws back across his body, and it's picked off. And I think he has to know that he can't be making those throws. And granted, he did make a throw like that earlier in the game, and it paid off. It got a first down. But, you know, I think he's someone that has to understand what his skill set is. And I think making plays like that where, I'm sorry, you're not Patrick Mahomes. You can't make that throw. You know, even though maybe he did earlier in the game. But... I think it's just you have to trust what it is you're doing offensively. And look, I think part of it is maybe trying to make a play. And I can understand that. I can understand that being in a game where, you know, they're down whatever the score was and you're trying desperately to make a play. But it's just you have to be smarter. And unfortunately, we didn't see a smart Mac Jones yesterday. You know, we saw a lot of missed throws. Okay, he did have some decent throws. You know, I think 
There was some statistic that over 10 air yards yesterday, he was six or six of seven for 119 yards or something like that. So that might be the one positive that you can pull from this game. But I think me, I think what's getting what's getting me frustrated this morning is, you know, all the people saying all these things about Mac Jones stinks. He's not a starting quarterback. Patriots need to tank, you know, all these things that I think are wildly overreactive. It doesn't necessarily surprise me, but I think that, look, it's fair to have the reaction that he played badly yesterday because he did. It's one of the worst games I've seen him play and didn't make a lot of good decisions. And I think cost the team the game, you know. He wasn't the only reason, you know, when you lose 38-3, to there's not one person that's responsible for a loss like that. So I think that, yes, he is definitely to blame for some of that game yesterday. If you want to say most of the game, fair, I won't stop you. But I think it's kind of unfair to, you know, react this way when for the majority of this season, four games, He's actually been pretty decent. Now, is it as good as it needs to be? No. You know, I think that... I I kind of don't know if it's like his fault that they lost the first two games because I thought he played pretty well, maybe missed some throws here and there. But I think for the majority of this season, the, you know, greater sum of what we've seen is an improved Mac Jones and a solid quarterback that, you know, I think the Bill O'Brien offense has helped improve him. I don't think that game yesterday is indicative of him as a quarterback, no matter what, you know, sex of the fan base want to say, you know, certain parts of the fan base want to say, you know, it's, he's not as bad as what he showed yesterday. And I think that anyone logically can kind of look at what he's done the majority of this season and say, oh, okay, we're seeing an improved quarterback. Yes, he had a bad day yesterday. You know, I don't think that he's had a bad game like that in, I mean, I don't know. I'd have to look at the schedule and, you know, look through some games. But I think what we've seen this season is a slightly improved quarterback. I don't think that there's great improvement, you know, I think it's there, but I think anyone acting like, oh, there's a huge regression, oh, this guy can't play quarterback, this guy stinks, you know, whatever, it's like, well, that's kind of a little bit overreactive, I think, but I think that, you know, running game obviously couldn't get going, the line didn't do a great job, I don't think really any receivers played well in this game. You know, Demario Douglas had a great play on that first drive, but, you know, makes kind of a boneheaded play on a punt return that, in my opinion, led to the, you know, fumble return touchdown. You know, I just think, me personally, I'm kind of getting tired of the people that are like, oh, well, you know, you need to play this guy. You need to play this guy no matter what. He's a dynamic player. You need to play him all the time. Well, if he makes big mistakes... It's kind of like, what are you supposed to do? I understand that this is an offense that 
you know, has its limitations or whatever you want to say. And that, you know, you need as many dynamic players as you can, you can get, which I agree with. But it's like, not if those particular players are making pretty egregious mistakes, like fumbling in that Dolphins game, running backwards on the punt return. Like, it's just, I think we are seeing an offense that is not nearly as good as when Brady was here. And obviously that's that's an obvious statement, but it's like, I think that we have to remember that, you know, yes, players make mistakes, absolutely, but it's kind of just like, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to explain because you do have a good player, and I really like Pop Douglas, and I think they're going to continue to use him at points this season, but it's just like, yes, he's going to make you know, rookie mistakes are a thing, but it's just, I think people are acting like he's never done anything wrong. And it's like, well, he's done plenty wrong. And I'm not trying to say that as like kind of a negative against him, like, oh, he's making all these mistakes. But it's like the mistakes he's made are pretty, pretty crucial. Like that fumble against the Dolphins, you know, ended up being pretty big. You know, running backwards on the punt return kind of ended up being a problem because the Patriots then, you know, are backed up into the end zone and it leads to a fumble return. Now, I'm not saying that that caused the fumble, but it's like he ran backwards and cost him about eight or ten yards. And it's just, you can't just ignore things a player does wrong because he happens to do other things well. You know, and I think that's the part that just annoys me because it's like you can't sit there and say that he's never done anything wrong. You know, I think people are trying to, you know, be smart asses and be like, you know, showing a video of him doing something well. And it's like, oh, but he fumbled. And it's like, yes, yes, he did. He made a, a, a crucial mistake, you know, and so... Again, it's a hard thing because he should, I think, be playing a little bit more. But at the same time, there are mistakes that he keeps making that are kind of kind of big. So I think at the end of the day, it's just, I think people are ignoring the mistakes and are kind of just wanting to throw digs at the Patriots or Bill Belichick because it's the, the easy thing to do. So, you know, again, I don't think that there's, a whole lot to break down with this game because the Patriots kind of just got their asses kicked. And I think, you know, there's not a whole lot to, to break down. Um, I think that the, the, the difficult thing going forward is the injuries, you know, and I think that that is obviously when you have a loss like this, it sucks and it's, you know, it stinks to get blown out in the league. And I think like, I know that there are some people that, you know, maybe said that they'd rather get blown out than lose in close, excruciating fashion. And I, like, honestly couldn't disagree more. A loss like yesterday feels a lot worse than, you know, losing to the Eagles, losing to the Dolphins, 
um, in the first two weeks. So, you know, but I think that, like, when you lose a game like this, adding insult to injury is the worst thing that can happen. And it kind of looks like that's what happened with um, Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez leaving the game, you know, with injuries. You know, I think that it appears that Judon's injury is a lot more serious. And I guess possibility that he misses major time, you know, possibly even the rest of the season. I don't want to, you know, speculate, but it does seem like it was a similar injury that Daniel Equale had suffered a couple of weeks ago and he's out for the season. So, you know, obviously it sucks. Um, it stinks to lose someone like Gonzalez because I think losing him early in the game, you know, I think really dealt their defensive blow because on the next play, you know, Prescott targets C.D. Lamb. That's a touchdown. So, you know, I don't know about Gonzalez's injury. He was questionable to return at some point in the game, but then obviously didn't return. So kind of not sure about his injury. It was a, a shoulder injury that it kind of looked like his arm got caught underneath itself. So, you know, I think it's, it's obvious that they need him back. I think just looking at what the cornerback spot looks like at the moment, you know, I think it's obviously not great that the Patriots, you know, for the majority of that game were down their top four cornerbacks. And there's really no way that you can account for injuries. You know, I think that Jack Jones is eligible to come back this week. So, you know, you hope that he can come back. You hope that John Jones can work himself back at some point. You know, he's missed the last couple of games. So, you know, and then you hope Gonzalez's injury isn't too bad. And maybe he can return this week. Who knows? You know, we'll probably get injury news this week and maybe closer to the weekend. But I think, you know, it just, it stinks. You know, it, it really stinks. You know, it was hard to watch that game, hard to kind of feel good about anything. You know, I guess that the only somewhat positive thing is it's only week four. You know, there are 14 weeks left. Sure, the team's one in three, but I think they're going into a part of their schedule that isn't particularly, you know, terrible or hard. You know, you look at the next two games, New Orleans and Las Vegas. I think both teams that the Patriots, despite the, the injuries and the poor play yesterday, they should be able to beat both of those teams. And I think, you know, anyone kind of, you know, rushing to Twitter or X or whatever to, you know, say, oh, you know, fire the coach, this season's over, get rid of this quarterback, you know, whatever. There's 13 more games, and I think you really shouldn't be declaring the team dead at this point because I think one and three is not really far beyond what people expected for the first four games. I mean, me personally, I thought they'd be two and two, and I think they finish one of those games, Miami or Philadelphia, they're probably two and two. Obviously, they didn't. They're one and three, but, you know, I don't think that I don't think that there's anywhere else this team can go 
because it really felt like yesterday was, you know, rock bottom. And I think it's, it's funny because I think it was entirely possible that that first game against the Eagles could have been like this yesterday. Um, and I think maybe the Patriots were due for a stinker, like a really just a bad game. Um, but like I said, I think with Mac Jones in particular, he's a guy that the majority of this season has been okay. You know, he's made a lot of big mistakes, but I think there's still, you know, something, there's still something to play for. You know, this talk about tanking and all that and, you know, punting on the season is totally not what this team should be doing. And I, I know that a lot of people are going to say that they should, but it's just like we're four games into the season. Are we really just going to say that, okay, you know, the team sucks. There's no point. Tank for Caleb Williams. Really? Like, that's what we're going to do? It's just kind of like, I think it goes against, you know, what you're taught to do as a professional athlete is to, you know, go out there and compete you know, and compete with your brothers, compete with your teammates. And, you know, it's just, I, I, I can't understand that. You know, I can understand teams that, you know, go into the season and it's clear that, oh, okay, this team is not going to be very good. This is not one of those teams. You know, I just, there, there's too much football to play to be declarative and be like, this is what the team is. They suck and they're not going to do anything. And it's just, I don't believe that that's true. I mean, yes, things look bad because the execution was horrible yesterday. Mac Jones didn't play with any confidence, it seemed like. But I think we've seen when he plays with confidence, he's a good quarterback. And I think for whatever reason, maybe just wasn't seeing the field right yesterday you know, and trying to do too much. And maybe the receivers are at fault too for not playing the best that they need to. But it's it's too early for me to be like, oh, okay, this season's finished. It's going to be what it's going to be. They stink. They're not going to do anything. It's too early for that. Now, if we go through the next two weeks and it's more of the same than it was yesterday, then sure, maybe I will kind of be like, okay, this team isn't where, you know, I thought they would be. But if they're three and three, if they win the next two weeks, are we really going to sit here and be like, oh, well, they're not going to beat any good teams. There's no point in trying. You know, it's just, there are 13 games left. We're just going to say, you know what, it's fine. We're not going to try. It's just, it's not in this team's DNA. It's not in Bill Belichick's DNA. That's not what's going to happen. We know that that's not what's going to happen. You know, so. I think that it's fair to say that they hit rock bottom yesterday, but it's like, you know, when you say you hit rock bottom, there's only one place you can go. So, you know, I just will say you're playing the Saints and the Raiders the next two weeks. Not exactly difficult opponents. So, you know, look, if they lose one of those games, then I'll probably start to be very concerned. I am concerned, 
about this team right now, the way that they played yesterday. Doesn't make me feel good about, you know, thinking that they can get back to the playoffs. But I just think that they are not as bad as what they showed yesterday. And I think anyone that's seen this team play for the first four games of the season knows that that is not the team that they are. And yes, maybe they're going to be shorthanded the rest of the season or for the next couple of weeks. But you can't just give up on a season because things get bad, because you have a bad game, because you have injuries. I'm sorry, that's just... That's not how sports work. I just like, you're, you can't just give up. And I just think that there are members of this fan base that are giving up a little bit too easily and are giving up because they want to be correct about their narratives and want to be correct about their takes that Bill Belichick stinks without Tom Brady and Mac Jones isn't the guy and he sucks. And it's just like, I don't know about you, but I'm going to look forward to watching 13 more games. I'm not going to stand for this, you know, this like whole doom and gloom thing that I think people enjoy a little bit more than they let on. So I just, I mean, I'm not sure what else this team is going to do other than try to improve and get better every single day and try to get back to the team that I think they're capable of being, you know, no matter who's available, and who isn't available. You know, the execution needs to be better. They know that. The team knows that. And I think they believe that there's still a competitive, good team in that locker room, no matter what anyone else is going to say, no matter what anyone's going to say about the lack of talent, the malpractice on the roster, whatever, you know, fancy words people want to use. There's still a good team in that locker room. I know that there is. We've seen it at times. So, you know, it doesn't just become a disaster overnight because of one particularly horrible game, you know. So I just, again, there's not a whole lot to break down, but I know that this team can be better. You know, I think that, you know, hopefully with these two opponents that are, you know, coming to play you the next two weeks, you can get back on track, make yourself feel better. Um, but I think, you know, yesterday stunk. It really did. But I think that for me, at least there's no reason to be throwing in the towel just yet. You know, I just don't, I don't believe in the tanking thing. I just think it's, it's dumb and it's kind of a loser's mentality. And I don't think that this is a Patriots team that has ever had that mentality. And I just will say that if you want this team to be the Cleveland Browns for those, you know, 20 years that they were terrible, it's like, you really want that? You know, because that's, that's what this is. I don't think that's what people realize when, you know, they say, oh, you should just tank. It's like, that's a mentality that creeps into the entire team and then it becomes a huge problem that you can't get over. And it's just like, I think that people think that this team is much worse than they are. And I think, I don't know, there are some people that I think cannot handle 
a team being mediocre and they think that there's no in-between with like Super Bowl champion and tank. That there's no difference between those two things. And it's just kind of like, I'm not going to, you know, entertain the tanking thing because I think it's stupid. So um, I think, you know, Patriots Saints next weekend, you know, it's a home game. You know, Patriots have been away for a couple weeks. And I think coming back home should be should be something that that helps them out. You know, hopefully we can see some guys return from injured reserve. You know, I think Jack Jones, Riley Reef, Tyquan Thornton are a couple guys that are eligible to come off this week. So, you know, hopefully we can see them. You know, I think for Mac Jones, it's getting back to being that confident quarterback that we've seen at times. And I think that's what we need to see from him. You know, I think that this defense, yes, losing Judon potentially is a huge problem. And it's a huge blow because I think it, you know, kind of is going to be a blow to their secondary even more without someone like him to rush the passer. But there are capable guys on that defensive line. I know that there are. So, you know, I I think that beating the Saints should not be a huge issue. Derek Carr, I think, is a quarterback that you can beat and you should be able to beat. Um, But I think, again, it's, you know, turnovers. You can't do what you did yesterday. You know, you got to be more careful with the ball. You have to be smarter. You know, I think that, again, there's an element of yesterday's game that I think is kind of a rock bottom thing. And I think that this is a team that will respond and should respond despite what the fan base wants them to do, which is to, you know, punt on the season and give up and tank to draft Caleb Williams. I think there's a pretty large portion of the fan base that kind of wants them to do that, and I don't think that they should. I think that you need to go out and compete and, you know, have some respect and integrity for the game. And I think that's what the opposite of what tanking is is there you're not playing for the integrity of the game. And I think that that's kind of what it comes down to when I say that tanking is stupid, especially for a team like this, is it's the integrity of the game. And it's just, that's the part that I can't get behind. Um, so we'll see if the Patriots can, can you know improve from this. I think that they will. Um, I think that it's too premature to say that their season's over and Mac Jones is a backup or whatever crazy stuff people are saying. Um, I do think it'll get better. Yesterday, obviously, is not not what we want the team to be, but I think they're capable of being better than what they showed yesterday. So I'm just going to kind of leave it on that note, um, and we're going to get to the Celtics pretty big trade happened yesterday. Um, I, for one, was uh, pretty surprised to see the Celtics uh, pull the trigger to acquire uh, Drew Holiday from the, you know, I paused to say that he was a member of the Portland Trailblazers because he was only, uh, you know, on the team for, on the team for a couple days you know, coming over from Milwaukee in the uh, Lillard trade. But, 
the Celtics, you know, pulling the trigger on the trade to get Holiday, um, which I think on its own is a good addition and a good fit. You know, I think that may or, and may or may not have said that on Friday, but I thought that, yes, he was a good fit. It just, the price to acquire him, I wasn't comfortable with giving up, and I kind of still feel that way. You know, Celtics giving up Malcolm Brogdon, a couple picks, and Robert Williams. And I think this is difficult because, you know, as I said yesterday, when the trade happened, I was trying to not be, you know, too emotional about losing someone like Rob, who I think, you know, means a lot to the Celtics and means a lot to some guys with the team. And I kind of thought that this is a team that already went through such a massive trade and a trade that kind of, you know, changed the team's DNA. You know, losing Marcus Smart, losing a guy that meant so much to the team and to the organization into the city, and I just thought, you know, losing someone like Rob was kind of another big-time trade that I think may not not make people unhappy, but I think just kind of Rob was a guy that everyone loved on the team and everyone loved having, you know, as a teammate. I think it just was hard for me to see you know, making two big trades that kind of shook up your team's DNA and, and, and culture. And the other part of it is we're making this trade a day before media day. You know, media day is going on right now. You know, training camp starts tomorrow. And I just kind of was like, okay, is this team capable of being able to kind of be like, okay, yesterday Rob Williams was on this team. Now he's not on the team. Can we, you know, be kind of ready to flip that switch and kind of get ready despite kind of losing someone that I think everyone enjoyed having around? So I think that it's not that there are concerns um, because I think in terms of your locker room and your culture, there's perhaps not too many better guys that you could bring in than Drew Holiday, you know, a guy that is well-respected around the NBA. Really don't think you can find a teammate that's ever said a bad word about him. Um, a guy that plays the game the right way and, you know, one of the best two-way guards, plays great point guard, was a huge part of the Bucks winning a championship. You know, so he's a very good player and makes this team very very scary to defend and very scary to try to score on, you know, even without Rob Williams, who I think is, when he's healthy, is, you know, looking at the roster as I thought it was going to be going into training camp, arguably their best defensive player. You know, Drew Holiday, I think, kind of becomes their best defensive player, becomes a, you know, Marcus Smart clone almost. Um, I think obviously someone is a little bit better a little bit better of an offensive game than Marcus Smart, you know, someone that can shoot better from three, um, and a guy that I think might be better equipped to run an offense um, than Marcus Smart, but I think, I don't know, I think it's just kind of, 
I hope that the team, you know, culture and chemistry wise can be able to, you know, be okay with this move and kind of move forward that, you know, Rob isn't on the team anymore. You know, Brogdon, you know, I don't want to sound insensitive, but it didn't really seem like he was going to be comfortable here. I think after the, you know, failed trade to the Clippers, you know, it kind of, kind of was hearing things that maybe he was still, you know, unhappy and uncomfortable. And so it's just like, you kind of can't keep someone like that around. And I think it's just kind of was like, okay, Portland's going to want Rob Williams. They're not going to want Al, Al Horford, you know, respectfully. I think that, you know, Rob obviously is younger, has a lot more potential. Um, and I think probably is a better fit in Portland with DeAndre Ayton than, you know, Horford would be. So, you know, I think that it's a good trade. I think that definitely I was kind of emotional when I first saw the news and kind of thought it was a bad trade, but no, this is a very good trade. It makes them the deepest team in the Eastern Conference. I think they already were pretty deep, if not the deepest, but I think this definitely makes them the deepest team in the East and I think gives you an ability to bring Derek White off the bench, which I think that the team might lean towards. Um, I think the chemistry culture thing was one of my concerns. The other concern that I have is the bench and where is that bench scoring going to come from if it's not going to come from Brogdon, who is the sixth man of the year and gave you a lot of good offense off the bench. I understand that, yes, he was not good in the playoffs specifically in that Eastern Conference Finals. Yes, he had an injury. And I think that, you know, unfortunately that the way the the way the Eastern Conference Finals ended, I think kind of tainted people's view of him as a player and they thought, you know, he wasn't good because the majority of the season he was excellent and was exactly what they needed. Um, I think my concern now is you know, are the Celtics really going to be able to get consistent production from Sam Hauser and Peyton Pritchard in particular? You know, I think it's really big seasons for the two of them um, to prove that they can be, you know, quality additions off the bench to be able to, you know, score the ball, give you kind of a offensive punch on nights where maybe the shots aren't falling. I think my concern is, do you have enough depth on the bench um, in terms of the bigs? Because, you know, you got Horford, you got Porzingis. I don't really need to tell you the kind of concerns that I have for both of those guys. You know, Al's 37. And, you know, I think they did the best that they could last year trying to keep him fresh for the playoffs. But it's just like I have concerns about the minutes that he's going to play. You know, it kind of seemed like he wore down a little bit toward the end of the playoffs. You know, and I think Porzingis, with his size, with his injury history, there are concerns there. Um, and so I wonder, you know, outside of the two of them, who do you have? You have Luke Cornett and you have Wenyan Gabriel, Gabriel, who you signed to a training camp deal yesterday. And I think there's a pretty good chance he makes the roster. Those are your backup bigs, you know? So it's just like, would I have made the trade for Holiday again 
you know, if I was the person in charge? You know, probably. I kind of changed my tune uh, from yesterday, but I think I would make that trade. Um, but it just is like, you don't have a lot of depth. And I think, you know, yes, you're trying to make your team as deep as you can in terms of like your top six, seven, eight guys, which I think they've done. I think that they're a little bit deeper than they were last year, but you know, I think it's, it's fair to have concerns. I think whenever you make a big time trade like this, you have concerns. I mean, I think it says a lot about the Celtics willingness to be aggressive, you know, and willingness to chase that, you know, championship that maybe they thought with the group that ended last year, that maybe it's not good enough. Maybe we need to, you know, make some big time moves. And I think these are pretty clear moves that are like, okay, you know, it was clear that particular core couldn't make it work for whatever reason, you know, fair, unfair reasons. You know, now it's kind of like, okay, Jalen and Jason, like it's your team now. We've given you guys some really good talent around you. You know, we've made some changes. Now it's up to you. And I think, yes, the Celtics have brought in some better players to better surround the two of them. But it's like, this is a move where it's like, your ownership expects you to be a championship contender. They expect you to be in the NBA Finals. They expect you to win a championship. And I kind of think that, okay, you know, this is kind of the thing that makes it clear that, okay, we are going for a championship. And I think it's kind of just like, okay, it's a big time move. It's a move that says this is what we expect. So, you know, I think it's fair to have some concerns after this trade, but I think it makes them a better team. And I think at the end of the day, that's what you try to do is you try to improve your team, make your team better. And I think that's what they did. I'm going to be curious to see, you know, what kind of lineups they use this year, because I think, you know, if you bring Horford off the bench, you know, I think that helps your big man depth. Because then I think in theory, you could start a lineup of Holiday, White, the Jays, and Porzingis, you know, giving you some depth with your bigs, you know, or you could decide to play Horford, play Porzingis, and then you have depth at your guard position with Derek White coming off the bench, possibly in kind of a six-man role, six-man role. So I think it'll be interesting, you know, how this team kind of comes together and gels. You know, I think that this is probably the most talented team that I've seen put together since, you know, the summer of, since the summer of 2007, when, you know, KG and Ray Allen came to this team, you know, and I think like the expectation for that team then was to win, you know, win the championship. And, you know, they made, they made it happen, you know, won the 66 games, you know, was difficult in the playoffs, but they got it done. And I think the expectations this year are kind of similar where it's like, okay, you had Marcus Smart, you had Robert Williams, that team, you know, that core 
got to a finals, got to a game within the finals last year, and you decided that this team isn't good enough, there needs to be improvements. So it's like, okay, now you make these big-time moves, and you hope that they can pay off. You know, and we'll see. We will see. So uh, training camp again starts on uh, Tuesday. As I mentioned, uh, Wenyan Gabriel was signed to a training camp deal. Um, so he will be with the team in training camp. Preseason starts uh, Sunday night. The Celtics are matched up against the Sixers, I believe. Yes, they're against the Sixers. 6 p.m. start on ESPN. So yes, we will have uh, Celtics game action to break down on next, next week's uh, podcast. So looking forward to that. So we will move on and talk a little bit about the Red Sox. Uh, before we do get into that, we uh, had mentioned that uh, last week that um, Tim Wakefield, it was revealed that he uh, was battling uh, brain cancer. And uh, we obviously all heard the news yesterday that um, he had passed away. So we would like to extend our best wishes to uh, the family and Red Sox. Red Sox family, obviously, because this is a just a big loss for the organization. You know, I think that obviously Tim meant so much to the baseball team, you know, winning 186 games um, with this franchise, you know, winning a couple World Series, you know, and I think it's just like, this is hard for me to talk about, man. This was, you know, something that I kind of, like, kind of always sticks with me about him. Um, but I think it's kind of the, the ultimate sports redemption story. You know, 2007, you know, 03 ALCS gives up the, the home run to Aaron Boone that sends the Yankees to the World Series. You know, and then one year later, Red Sox complete the greatest comeback in baseball history. And he's there celebrating on that same mound that he gave up the home run to Aaron Boone. And it's just is something that always sticks with me because it really is the, you know, the ultimate story of redemption that, yeah, you know, you can have, you can be at your absolute lowest, you know, at one point and then, you know, it comes back around and you're able to kind of celebrate the the highest of highs. So, you know, that's always something that sticks with me about, about Wakefield and someone that, you know, as I said last week, someone that I grew up with, you know, watching Red Sox games and, you know, going to Red Sox games at young ages and being like, okay, you know, here's a guy that I had no idea, you know, was going to be part of my, you know, growing up being a sports fan and, you know, someone that I associated with the Red Sox, you know, like you would Pedro Martinez or, you know, Jason Veritek, Derek Lowe, you know, any of those guys that were, you know, on the Red Sox in those, you know, early 2000s years when I started watching the team when I was a young kid. So just wanted to say that a little bit about uh, Tim and how much he meant to, you know, me personally, but how much he meant to so many other people. I mean, all the fantastic work that he did off the field specifically with the Jimmy Fund and all that. You know, I think that is someone that will be 
remembered forever. You know, so just wanted to share that little bit before we, you know, talked about the team on the field. Um, so Red Sox wrapping up the regular season yesterday, uh, beating the Orioles 6-1 to one shutout, or six shutout innings uh, for Tanner Houck, who finished the year on a good high note. Red Sox finished the year at 78-84, and 84, um, and I think, you know, kind of makes sense to talk about this year. Um, you know, we talked a lot yesterday about this, or Friday. We talked a lot about this offseason being crucial, you know, for the future of the team. And I think, you know, I don't want to, I don't know if I should say this, but I feel like there were times this season where they showed flashes of being on the right track as an organization, you know, and I think that's with the solid play of Tristan Casas throughout the season, you know, the, the pockets of time when Yoshida was really cooking and really performing well, you know, I think the times where Devers was, you know, going off, you had starting pitching that was kind of keeping it together uh, for parts of the season. And I think, you know, gave you hope that maybe the future won't be so bad. You know, I think the performance of someone like Justin Turner, who came in with, I think, kind of, you know, low expectations for what he was going to do on the field, and he was outstanding. You know, I think start to finish may have been their most consistent hitter this season. 23 homers and 96 RBIs. I think he deserves a lot of credit for how he played and, you know, kind of just what he brought to the team and the organization, I think, through some tough times. You know, he deserves a lot of credit. And I hope the Red Sox can, you know, find a way to keep him. You know, that's kind of the tough thing because I think with Casas, you want to continue his development, continue to play him at first base as much as you can. You know, and Turner, I think, majority played first base, or the majority of majority position he played this year was first base or was DH. And I think, you know, it's possible the Red Sox shift Yoshida into more of a DH role. Um, I think just considering his deficiencies in the outfield. And I think you want to give Casas as much time as you can at first base. And I just think, like, I don't know where Turner fits in, but I think if the Red Sox can carve out a role for him, I would really appreciate him coming back because I think not only was a really good player for them, but I think helped kind of improve the team's mood in the dugout. And I know that it wasn't great the last couple of months of the season because the Red Sox really, you know, stunk up the joint. But I think he's someone that, if it's possible, he should have a spot here um, because I think his performance was great this year. You know, was one of their best players. Um, you know, so I think clearly there's a lot of decisions to be made. There are a lot of guys that I think there's a good chance that they won't be back. You know, for Dugo, I can't see him being back. Adam Duvall, I can't see him being back. You know, I think there are going to be a lot of changes in terms of, you know, certain guys that may or may not return. Um, and then I think you think about how ways that they can improve you know, guys that they can bring in. I'd be interested to see what they try to do in terms of the lineup 
for guys that they try to bring in. I know that there's a huge thing out there that, you know, Juan Soto may be available. And could the Red Sox potentially pounce on a player like that? You know, I think someone like Duran, unfortunately, had his season cut short. But he's someone I'd like to see stick around. Because at times last year, at times this year, he was their most exciting player. And I think really showed you the improvements to his game um, this season. And I think it would be great for the Red Sox to kind of carve out a regular role for him if it's in the outfield, if it's in center, if it's in right, you know, wherever it is. I think that he needs to be a regular, you know, with this team next year. Um, and I think pitching, you know, there needs to be a big overhaul. I think that they're on the right track. I really was impressed with the way that Nick Pavetta was able to close out the season, you know, really was in whatever role the team asked him to be, which I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. You know, being a reliever, being a starter, being an opener, and I think, you know, was really solid at times, and I think I'd like to see him back. You know, Brian Bayo, obviously, I think, deserves credit for how well he pitched at times this season. You know, you think that he'll return. What do the Red Sox do with Carter Crawford? What do they do with Tanner Houck? Who knows? You know, I could I could say you even include someone like Garrett Whitlock in there too. And Chris Sale, because they think those particular guys, they need to make a decision about, you know, how best to utilize their skills. Um, and I think Houck, unfortunately, you know, had some injuries, had some inconsistencies, but as you saw yesterday, still is capable of pitching well. So I just will be curious to see, you know, how they approach those couple of guys. You know, clearly they're going to need some improvements in the rotation. James Paxton probably won't be back. You know, I think that they need to, you know, figure out the starting rotation, you know, and best, best utilize you know, Sale and Bayo, if they're going to be in the rotation next year, you know, best ways to kind of keep those guys so they don't feel like they're a burden having to carry the entire rotation. Um, so I think that that's something that, you know, needs to be improved. I was really pleased with the bullpen this year. Chris Martin was unbelievable. Was probably their best reliever this season. Not sure if he returns. Um, I'm actually not sure about his contract, Kenley Jansen, will return next year, and he was pretty solid. You know, 29 saves, I think, should be someone that returns. I think that he's also kind of a good kind of locker room guy to have around that a lot of guys enjoy playing with. So I think that he should be back. You know, I think it's just, again, it's going to be an off season with a lot of changes, and I think a lot of kind of, you know, big big changes that are going to happen that, you know, I think the team's really got to be serious about making these improvements. And I think, you know, deciding who those guys, the new guys are going to be in the front office, you know, and figuring out the best way to put the best team on the field, a team that is more consistent starting pitching, you know, it's a team that gives you more consistent starting pitching. You know, a team that does not make 
fundamental mistakes on the base paths and on defense. You know, I think, as I said last week, that's the biggest thing for me. You know, that's the biggest thing. And then pit, then starting pitching. But it's like, you need to have a smarter baseball team than what we saw this past year. You know, it means being aggressive, but it also means not running into outs and just being smart. I don't really think it's that difficult, but, you know, clearly this team showed their kind of inability to, to be that this year. So hope that that improves. So I think, you know, that'll, that'll do it. That'll probably do it for, you know, our time talking about the Red Sox this season. You know, we'll obviously continue to talk about the team as, you know, updates happen with the front office, you know, guys that maybe they decide not to bring back in terms of options and all that. So we'll keep you updated. But, you know, unfortunately, no uh, postseason baseball for this team this season. And we'll try again uh, next season. So I think we're going to talk about the Bruins here. As I said, three more preseason games to go. I think the Bruins are starting to uh, narrow down what their potential lineup could look like uh, Thursday night in New York, which I think Jim Montgomery said, a very good chance that that will be their starting roster uh, for the home opener October 11th against Chicago. So just some news from the other day. Um, Brett Harrison uh, assigned to Providence. Michael DiPietro, one of their goaltenders, was put on waivers, and Alex Chason was released from his uh, PTO. So I don't think that's a huge surprise. You know, I think that the Bruins were kind of just giving him an opportunity just to see what he could do. And, you know, unfortunately, maybe it wasn't good enough, but I think, you know, just an opportunity just so you know. And I think, you know, me personally, I didn't think he really had much of a chance to make the roster, but I think, you know, hopefully it was at least positive to have someone like that around, um, a guy that's, you know, been involved in a number of teams over the past couple of years, won a championship. So, you know, happy, you know, best of luck to him uh, going forward. The Bruins still do have a player that's on a professional tryout, Danton Heinen, who I still think is a very good chance to make the roster. Um, I think, you know, the Bruins kind of looking for kind of one of those third line spots to be picked up by someone, you know, to pair with Morgan Geeky and Trent Frederick. You know, I think Heinen definitely is among one of the leaders in the clubhouse for that, for that role, or at least I think he should be. Um, I think just a very smart player, I think understands what the Bruins are trying to do, understands, you know, what Montgomery wants to try to do, you know, obviously being or having that uh, familiarity from the University of Denver. Um, but I think, you know, it's kind of the big questions with this team are still the big questions. You know, you're not going to really answer a lot of things in training camp. You know, I think the only thing is kind of the opportunities for the younger players. You know, did they seize the opportunity? Did they, you know, showcase what they can do? Because with kind of the veteran players, you kind of know what you're going to get. You know, you kind of know what the expectation is. 
for those guys, but it's kind of the younger guys that, okay, you know, prove to us, prove to us that you belong in the NHL. And I think that some of the younger guys are doing that, you know, and performing well in the preseason. Um, I do think it's very interesting that Matthew Patra is still with the Bruins and still in training camp and, you know, still getting opportunities to play. I think that he will play in the preseason game tonight, and it's another opportunity for him. And I think, you know, in all likelihood, he's going down to the OHL, you know, at the end of training camp. But I think to get him in as many games as possible, I think makes a lot of sense. You know, acclimate him to the pro game as best that you can. And, you know, hopefully when next year rolls around, you know, he legitimately pushes for a chance to make the roster. You know, really like what I've seen from him, you know. is just a player that isn't flashy, you know, isn't doing all these crazy things like stick handling and, you know, going around guys the way that like Connor Bedard has been. But I think just doing the right things, being in the right place at the right time. And I think kind of just those intangible things that you can't teach. And I think that he's shown some good things, you know. So I think getting him the opportunities to play, you know, it's been great. And so, you know, I'd be curious to see what kind of role the Bruins have for him tonight. Um, just some other guys that are in the lineup tonight. Uh, Charlie Coyle, I believe this is his first preseason game. Morgan Geeky, I think, is also getting into this game for the, or getting into a preseason game for the first time. Uh, Patrick Brown, I also think, getting into uh, his first preseason game, but some of the other guys I think have already uh, played in games this season. That includes uh, Jesper Boquist, Jake DeBrusque, AJ Greer, Lysel, McLaughlin, Patra, um, and Oscar Steen. So a couple guys there in terms of the defensemen. You'll see Carlo. You'll see Lindholm. You'll see Ian Mitchell. Don't really think Mitchell is a great chance to make the team, but who knows? You know, I like the way that he played in um, last week's game against Buffalo. Um, I thought he looked pretty good, so it'll be interesting to see. What he can do, Swayman and Bussy are the goaltenders tonight in Philly. Curious to see if Swayman gets a good amount of action tonight. So, as I said, Bruins with three more preseason games to go, including tonight. Bruins have a back-to-back -back that they will play, obviously, tonight in Philadelphia. And then tomorrow they'll be back at the Garden to play Washington. And then... Preseason finale Thursday night in New York against the Rangers. And then that's it for the preseason. Bruins will then uh, host Chicago and Nashville for their first two regular season games. So I think just some other tidbits. Good to see David Pasternak get into the game um, on Friday, getting a couple goals. That was really good to see. Um, Linus Allmark, you know, I think had his moments, had some good saves uh, this weekend or on Friday against Philly. So, you know, I think 
moving forward with this team, it's kind of just not sure what you're going to get with that top six. I think that there's legitimate questions, you know, about Zaka and his ability to be kind of that number one guy, which he probably will be. You know, Charlie Coyle playing in a top six role may not exactly be the best spot for him, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, you know, how does Van Riemsdyk look in the top six? You know, he's someone that I think really could be a guy that kind of makes or make or breaks makes or breaks this team's success this year. You know, I think that if he has a good year, this team has a possibility to be really, really good. If he doesn't have a great year, then I think the team might, you know, suffer a little bit from trying to find, you know, the best fit up in that top six for the wing spots. Um, Because I think the Bruins are pretty set with, you know, Marshan, Pasternak, and DeBrusque playing those wing positions on the top six. It's kind of like the Van Riemsdyk spot or whoever else that the Bruins kind of have a bit of a a question mark there. You know, I think you know it's going to be Zaka and Coyle at center. And so it's like, okay, that second line wing spot that, you know, most likely Van Riemsdyk is going to play. Does he hold on to that role? I would hope that he does. But if he doesn't, you know, do the Bruins give someone like Merkulov a chance? Do they give someone like Lysel a chance? You know, do they move up Morgan Geeky? You know, I think that those are all, you know, legitimate questions for um, the Bruins' top six that can they get enough offensively from that group to be able to win a lot of games? Because I think they're going to be able to win a lot of games just based on their ability to defend and their ability to get big saves. Because I think Olmark and Swayman are going to be just, well, I don't know if I should say just as good as last year, but I think there probably won't be too much of a drop-off. Certainly there's going to be a drop-off in you know, scoring and a drop-off in this team's ability to get points. Because it was a crazy knack that they had last season to be able to pick up points in a lot of games that they did that they didn't play well. So no, they're not going to have 130 points this year. I hate to burst that bubble. Uh, but I do think that there's a good chance they'll be in the, the hundreds and have a good chance to finish top three in this division. I really don't think it's that crazy that they are a good quality, solid hockey team, you know, that gets just enough scoring uh, to be competitive. So, again, Bruins and Flyers tonight, Bruins and Capitals tomorrow, and then Bruins and Rangers on Thursday, and that's it for the preseason. So we're just getting closer and closer to meaningful hockey, which is very exciting. Um, So I think that's going to do it for the Bruins. We're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Revolution, who got back on track with a win this weekend against Charlotte. So the Revs uh, will host Columbus on Wednesday night and hope to continue their uh, run to, you know, a good position in the Eastern Conference. Uh, The Revs got back to... um, got back into the win column with the win Saturday, uh, catapulting all the way to third in the East. Things are very close in the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, Southern Revs, with the win, able to get up to third 
are just two points behind second place Orlando. So I think some good things for the Revs in this game. A couple goals, Dave Romney getting the go-ahead goal uh, one minute after Charlotte had tied it. And, you know, watching this game, it was kind of another, you know, here we go again moment where the Revs, you know, take the lead in the second half, give up the tying goal in the last 10 minutes. It's like, okay, great. All the positivity that you built is going to go away. But then, you know, Dave Romney saves the day uh, with a great header off a great cross from uh, Dewan Jones. You know, Romney had had a chance earlier in the game. And I was thinking, if he gets another opportunity, if he somehow does, I think he's going to make the most of it, which he did. So that was good to see. I think good for this team to see a win. You know, I think just consider, considering all the all the stuff that had happened the last couple of weeks, you know, with the coaching staff um, and all that. But it was great to see the Revs get a win. Great to see Noel Buck get on the scoreboard. It was a beautiful goal that he scored um, in the 64th minute to give the Revs uh, the lead that they would only have for about 20 minutes. But that was good to see. So I think for this team, it's kind of just building up, building back up before the postseason. They have four games to go, you know, working in some guys. It was good to see Gustavo Bo get into the game um, in the second half. Rioni also subbed in for Bobby Wood, who uh, started this game, played in the game for the first time um, in a while. And then you saw a Tommy McNamara appearance in the second half, came on for uh, Sean Kalai, who was really, really good in this game. You know, I think the last couple of weeks... Unfortunately, the, I've only been able to catch like bits and pieces of Rev's games, uh, but this was my first time to be able to watch him, you know, through a full 90-minute game, and he was really, really good. You know, I think someone that really gives the Revs another attacking threat. I thought that he was probably the Revs' best player in this game, so it was good to see him play as well as he did. You know, I think it's just creating as much creating for creating or having other guys being able to create to assist Carlos Heel so he's not the guy that has to do everything and I think he's good at that when you know obviously the offense is all you know funneling through him but I think when other guys can be able to step up and be able to you know put in goals or set up goals you know it really helps their offense so I think you know, I'd be curious to see Vrioni, Bo, um, Shankalai, you know, how they use those three guys in particular going into the playoffs. Because I think they're going to need as many guys who can finish as they possibly can. So obviously it was great to see Noel Buck get in on the score, score sheet because uh, he's a really good player. So I think, you know, it's kind of the, the focus with this team. And, you know, not allowing the late goals because that's kind of what's been, you know, harming them, harming them recently that they've given up a lot of late goals. And I think, you know, with respect to Earl Edwards, you don't have a goaltender that is like going to be able to cover up all your, you know, blemishes on defense. I think the Revs have been lucky the last couple of years with Turner and with Petrovich. You know, and so it's kind of like, okay, you got to help out your goalie enough 
you know, because your guy there right now is not, you know, nearly at the level of the, of the other two. So, you know, you hope that they can work on that defensively. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see this Vosley guy who they brought over from the Czech Republic, <clears throat> you know, when he can enter a game, because there's only four games left before the playoffs. And I think the Revs would probably like for him to get into a couple games at least before the playoffs start. So <clears throat> the good news is the Revs do have four games between now and then, but obviously that's not many. So <clears throat> Revs will be at home Wednesday night against Columbus, and then they will travel to um, Orlando on Saturday for a pretty big Eastern Conference battle with the team that they are chasing in this. <laughs> Chasing in the standing. So the Reds will play in, at Orlando and then at Nashville. And then we'll wrap up the schedule with the home game against Philadelphia on October 21st. So four games to go for the Reds. Good for them to get in the win column. And they're right back for uh, battling for one of those playoff spots in the East. That will give them home field advantage. Is that would be great. It's a place that the uh, Revs have not lost a game this year. So, so, hope that they can lock up the home field. So, I think that's probably going to do it for our uh, local teams. We're going to get to some other notes from around sports, get to some NFL scores from yesterday. And we'll give you some other... Uh, notes from around the games yesterday. Khalil Mack and the Chargers getting a win over the Raiders. Khalil Mack making uh, Chargers history with six sacks in yesterday's win over the Raiders. Christian McCaffrey with four touchdowns for the 49ers yesterday. Um, and the Bills' Tredavious White is feared to have a torn Achilles as he had left the game against the Dolphins yesterday. So we're going to take a look at some scores. Obviously, the week got started with the Lions getting a win on the road in Green Bay. David Montgomery with three rushing touchdowns in this game, and the Lions improved to 3-1 and one with the win. 34-20, Packers fall to 2-2. Two two. The Jaguars and Falcons played in London. And the Jags coming away victorious 23-7 to even their record at 2-2. Two and two. A pick six for the Jags defense. Trevor Lawrence with a passing touchdown. And the Jags win 23-7. The Bills uh, dominating the Dolphins yesterday in Buffalo 48-20. Josh Allen with four touchdown passes and a rushing touchdown. Stephon Diggs, three receiving touchdowns in the Bills. I think the Bills are back, uh, I will say. Uh, they're not looking great in their first game against the Jets. They thoroughly dominated the Dolphins uh, for most of this game, so the Bills proving that they are still the team to beat in the AFC East. The Broncos with a huge comeback yesterday, beating the Bears 31-28, to dealing the Bears their fourth straight loss to start the season. Broncos get their first win. 
Justin Fields four touchdown passes in the game, but the Bears, or the Broncos, excuse me, getting um, a late interception to seal their comeback win. 31-28, the final score there. The Ravens beating up on the Browns, 28-3. Lamar Jackson with four total touchdowns, two on the ground, two through the air. Pretty easy win for the Ravens, who improved to 3-1. and one. The Titans dropping the Bengals to 1-3 and three with a 27-3 thrashing. Derrick Henry with a receiving, or excuse me, with a, with a passing touchdown and a rushing touchdown. As uh, the Titans pulled out the pulled out the tricks as Derrick Henry threw a jump pass touchdown to the Titans, destroy the Bengals, improve to two and two, and things might be getting a little uh, concerning down there in Cincinnati. The Rams improving to two and two with an overtime win. Puka Nakua with the game-winning touchdown had nine receptions, 163 yards. As the Rams improved to two and two, Colts fall to two and two. This is a pretty entertaining game. The Buccaneers beating the Saints 26 to nine. Baker Mayfield three touchdown passes as the Bucks rebound from their disappointing loss to the Eagles last week. The Saints fall to two and two. The Eagles getting an overtime win over the Commanders, 34 to 31. This is a pretty uh, entertaining game that Commanders. Played a lot better than I would have thought, but the Eagles stay undefeated. Jake Elliott, the game-winning field goal in overtime. The Vikings beating the Panthers 21-13. A couple touchdown receptions for Justin Jefferson. Vikings get their first win of the season. Panthers drop to 0-4. The Texans beating the Steelers 30-6. Texans evening their record. Steelers drop to 2-2. C.J. Stroud with 300 yards and two touchdown passes to Nico Collins in this game. The Chargers, as we mentioned, evening their record at 2-2 two two with a 24-17 win over the Raiders. The 49ers beating the Cardinals 35-16. McCaffrey, as we mentioned, four touchdowns. And then the Chiefs doing just enough to outlast the Jets last night on Sunday Night Football. 23 to 20, the final score. Jets fall to one and three. Chiefs are three and one. Zach Wilson, two touchdown passes in the loss. Tonight's game with them in the Meadowlands at MetLife Stadium. The Seahawks traveling to play the Giants. Giants one and two. Seahawks two and one. It's an 8:15 start on ABC and ESPN tonight. So I think. We're going to get to some baseball notes. We'll take a look at the baseball uh, playoffs as they will get started tomorrow with the wild card series. Uh, the Astros clinching the AL West and getting a first round bye with the Texas Rangers loss yesterday. Miguel Cabrera ending his career with a win with the Tigers yesterday. Yandy Diaz winning the American League batting title. The Braves tying an MLB record with 307 home runs this season. Mets letting go Buck Showalter after this uh, disappointing season. So 
I think. I'm trying to debate now. Oh, no, we'll show you the standings. So, kind of the final count for standings in the American League East. The Orioles winning the division by two games over the Rays. Baltimore winning a AL high 101 games. So Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Baltimore making the playoffs out of the East this season. Minnesota winning the Central. Houston winning the West. And then Texas in as the wildcard team. They finished with the same record, but the Astros with the tiebreaker over the Rangers, giving them the American League West. In the National League, or actually I should say the A's, with the most losses in the American League, with 112, three American League teams losing over 100 games this season, the A's, the White Sox, and the Royals. Only one National League team lost over 100 games, and that was the Rockies this season. So in the West, the Dodgers running away with the division, 162, winning the division by 16 games over Arizona, who also made the playoffs as a wild card. Milwaukee making the playoffs in the Central, winning the division by nine games over the Cubs, and then the National League East, like the American League East, with three playoff teams, Atlanta, Philadelphia, and Miami, with Marlins making the playoffs by a single game over the Cubs. So as I said, the wild card series, best of three, will start tomorrow with some afternoon games in the American League. The Astros, excuse me, the Rangers, traveling to Tampa to take on the Rays. That's a three o'clock start. So obviously best two out of three advances to the American League Championship Series. Uh, Toronto will travel to Minnesota, 4.30 start there. And then in the National League, Arizona travels to Milwaukee, 7 o'clock start. And then Miami travels to Philly, 8 o'clock start over there. So I think how it works is... Yes, the higher-seeded team gets all three games. So then the winners of the series play the teams that get buys, which is the top two uh, seeds in each league. So the Orioles and the Astros getting buys in the American League, and the Braves and the Dodgers getting buys in the National League. So the wild card series this week and then the division series begins this weekend. So we'll give you, actually probably we'll recap both the wildcard series and the division series where it's at uh, next week. So I think we'll move on. NBA teams reporting to media day today. Uh, Celtics obviously reporting, and, you know, interesting, just interesting dynamic with a big trade uh, happening uh, days before, or the day before media day. So certainly a lot of questions about the new acquisition for Drew Holiday. So it'll be interesting to see how that's perceived around the rest of the NBA. James Harden, who is seeking a trade, not present. Sixers media day. Not really sure why that was news. That wasn't really surprising. Uh, Draymond Green will be out four to six weeks for the Warriors. 
Cameron Payne was added to the Bucks roster on a veterans minimum deal. And so, yeah, training camps open this week. Preseason games will start this weekend. Celtics Sixers will play on Sunday night. That's actually a ESPN start. Their first preseason game of the NBA season will be on Thursday. The Mavericks and the Timberwolves opening up the NBA Abu Dhabi games Thursday and Saturday. And then, yeah, games will start this weekend. Celtics will play home against the Sixers Sunday night. And then Monday, they will travel to New York to take on the Knicks. So I'll give you some NHL notes. Flames executive Chris Snow uh, passed away after his battle with ALS at the age of 42. That was um, just some sad news over the weekend. Uh, Chris is definitely an inspiration to, to all of us. So just want to say, you know, best wishes to, to his family as they deal with this uh, tragic loss. Um, just some other notes. The Wild signing Matt Zagrillo and Marcus Foligno to extensions. And Connor Bedard. Actually, no, we talked about this last week, but he made his debut for the Blackhawks in their preseason game. Um, and the Ducks' Alex Kaloran will be out four to six weeks with a broken finger. So preseason games continue around the NHL. Regular season begins... Um, in about a week or so. So before we let you guys go, doing a little, another little segment here at the end, uh, happy trails today to Terry Francona, the former Red Sox manager, uh, managed the Indians, and uh, as retiring at the end of the season, which is now, so just thought we'd say um, just some nice things about Terry, you know, all the happy memories that he helped bring to a lot of us Red Sox fans, you know, with the World Series uh, championships in 2004 and 2007. So um, happy trails to him in retirement as he finishes his career with a 538 win percentage, was a 574 win percentage with uh, the Red Sox through his time, a winning record every single season that he managed the Red Sox, including a high of 98 wins his very first season. So and congratulations to Terry. And uh, yeah, thanks for all the uh, all the wonderful memories. So I think it's going to do it for me this week. I know uh, there's a lot to get to a little bit long, but, you know, thought I'd give you guys enough content uh, as possible as we won't be doing uh, guest Friday this week have a couple of a uh, couple weddings to go to this weekend so um, won't be any guest Friday but we hope to be back on normal schedule next week hoping to find a uh, guest to come talk about the Celtics next week as we get closer to the regular season so have a great rest of your week everyone and we will talk to you soon <laughs>